Hey family, this is Josh Eggerson. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Faith Restored podcast. Faith Restored is a local church with a global mission to reach the lost and teach the found. And it's our hope that the word you're about to hear today encourages you, inspires you, and builds your faith. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Restored, you can visit us on our website at faithrestored.church. Now let's go live into this week's message. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 16. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Chapter 5, verse number 1, it says, For we know that if the earthly tent which is our house is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Verse 16, it says, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. Then in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, For we know, we don't suspect. It's not a hypothesis. We are sure that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Amen. You may be seated. I want to preach for a little while using as a subject, even if it kills me. Even if it kills me. Father, thank you for this time. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Even if it kills me. I'm often confronted with the reality that many of us are not pleased with our walk with God, are not enjoying Jesus the way we should because we misunderstand and thereby have misappropriated the purpose of our relationship with God. Yeah. We got saved, gave our heart to the Lord by faith, and we believed that if we did that, that would be the end of our affliction, that we would no longer suffer the way we had suffered, that the problems that we had in life would disappear because we made this choice to follow Jesus. As a matter of fact, even now, when we fall off of the proverbial wagon and our lives start to get out of whack, the first thing we try to do if we're believers or somewhat of a Christ follower, the first thing we try to do is say, I'm going to get back in church. I'm going to get myself together. I'm going to start worshiping again because we believe that the worship of Christ, that the following of Jesus is a way to anesthetize our pain, to make the hurting in life stop. It's a way for us to make our lives better and to put our minds 
at peace and to make sure we get what we want out of life. Yeah, we, 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 we've sold a false bag of goods, Brother Herman. We, as preachers, because we like to celebrate how many decisions we had on a Sunday, and we like to clap at altar calls when people are walking down the aisle and saying they want to be saved, but we're not tracking their lives to see if there's been any change. So we give you the pep rally speech at the altar call and tell you that if you're hurting, he'll make the hurting stop. That if you're a bad person, he'll make you a good person. That if you're broken, he'll put you back together again. Not really understanding that that is not the purpose of following Jesus Christ. Following Jesus is not an invitation from bad behavior to good behavior. It's not an invitation from brokenness to wholeness. It is not an invitation from you being destitute and broke to you being financially or physically prosperous. But following Jesus is a call for you to lay down your life in service and gratitude to the one who has laid down his life for you. Jesus did not come then to be your cosmic genie or your celestial sugar daddy to give you the things that you want when you pray and when you put some money on the altar he'll make everything all right for you and when you say hallelujah he'll swoop in and fix all of your problems your life is not designed to be problem free your life is designed to glorify God even in the midst of your problems yeah even in the midst of your pain even in the midst of your struggles even in the midst of the things that you are going through you are called to give God glory. And the reason why the church is losing its fire and its power and its witness in times like these is because we told people that serving God would make your life easier. When really serving God puts you in a place of difficulty. That's really what Paul is teaching us in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the book of 2 Corinthians is kind of like Paul's clapback in Scripture because 1 Corinthians was him sending correction to this young and gifted church that was in Corinth. They were young, they were gifted, but they were immature. And so Paul writes them in 1 Corinthians to give them lessons on how to conduct themselves as the people of God. He says, look, uh, you can have a whole bunch of spiritual gifts if you're going to exercise them. This is the way you exercise them. But remember, no matter how many tongues you speak in, if you don't have love, all you are is a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Doesn't matter if you can lay hands on the sick and they recover. If you don't have love, you are worthless to God because God is love and gifts and callings are without repentance. Y'all don't hear me. You can have a gift and be wicked in your heart and God not get any glory from your gift. And so Paul rearranges and corrects the Corinthian church in chapter 1. But just like every other pastor who gives correction, there are always people in the congregation, Sherrod, that don't want to hear the correction. So in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, there is a rebuttal that is sent to the Apostle Paul. 
questioning his apostolic authority. They said, look, you wasn't even around Jesus when he was alive. Matter of fact, you were a Pharisee. Matter of fact, 20 years ago, you were killing Christians. Now you want to come around here telling us what to do. I don't even think you're a real apostle. Matter of fact, Paul, the reason why I don't believe you're a real apostle, because if you were a real apostle, you wouldn't be in jail as much as you are. You wouldn't have gotten beaten as much as you've gotten beaten. You wouldn't have to deal with all the stuff you've had to deal with. You wouldn't have gotten been, you wouldn't be as broke as you are right now. You wouldn't look as crazy as you look. You wouldn't be walking around with that thorn in your flesh. If you were really anointed, your life would be better and it would be absent of affliction. And so Paul writes 2 Corinthians to let this immature church know because you do realize that is a statement of immaturity, saying that if God is with you, then your life is good. And if God's not with you, then your life is bad. Uh, that's a statement of immaturity because you don't understand. Paul says, the reason I know that I am with God and God is with me is not because I have not gone through anything, but I've been able to go through it and survive. Paul tells him, he says, look here. He said, I've gone through a lot of stuff. Oh, God, but there are people who went through what I went through and they did not make it. He says, my, 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 my apostolic assignment, beloved, is confirmed by the fact that I've made it through all the stuff that y'all have seen me go through. And that really needs to be your encouragement this morning that when people try to doubt whether or not God is with you because they look at the conditions of your life and the circumstances that you're going through and they try to say that God is not with you because all of the stuff you got to deal with, tell them, baby, if, the, if God wasn't with me, I wouldn't be here right now. If, if God was not on my side, my circumstances would have taken me out. But the reason I'm here is because God is with me. Yeah, the reason why I didn't throw in the towel, the reason why I didn't walk away, the reason why I didn't quit, the reason why I didn't lose my mind, the reason why I was able to loan you a few dollars when I knew you wasn't going to pay me back, the reason why I've been able to do all the stuff that I've been able to do is not because God has left me, but it's because he's still with me. And we need to stop cheapening the ministry of the Holy Ghost and stop acting like it's just for tongues and for miracles and for make us to make us exuberant in our praise. We have to remember that the Holy Ghost gives you the ability to be a witness, God help me, to be in the Greek a martyr, to lay down your life. The Holy Ghost gives you the ability to lay down your life. Yeah, and that's what Paul is saying. Paul says, look, it's no question. I've gone through a whole lot of stuff and people look at my life, chapter four, people look at my life uh, as if I've done something wrong to God. But but those are only the people who the God of this world has blinded their minds because they don't understand that affliction in this life is not a sign that God has left you. But normally affliction in the life of the believer is a sign that God trusts you. God help me. Oh God, see sometimes you go through stuff because God is whooping your tail and you know that. If you have the Holy Spirit, you will understand that God is whooping you for some stuff you've done. Some of the stuff you've done causes you to be punished, not in the next life, because God loves you too much to let you go to hell. So he'll let you go through hell to remind you that you don't want to go to hell. Yeah. 
But then yet there are other times where the things you are going through have nothing to do with your behavior. They have nothing to do with your life choices. They have nothing to do with the things you've done in your life. They have everything to do with the fact that God needs somebody to represent him in the world. And the only way that you can represent him in the world is by going through what he went through. So he has to allow you then to go through a little bit of what he endured on your behalf so that you can represent him rightly. That's why Paul tells the church in Philippi in chapter 2, verse uh, chapter 2, he tells them it has been appointed unto you not only to love God, but to suffer for his sake. God, help me. Christians don't like that. We don't like to hear that. We like to hear that you're going to live your best life now and that you're going to move the mountains into the sea and that you can declare a car off the car lot and that you can decree a home in the neighborhood you want to decree it in. And I believe all of that, that may be true. But I also understand that that is not the point of Christ working in your life. The point of Christ working in your life is to represent him in a way that makes people look at you and say, what must I do to be saved? Yeah. And God is calling us as his children to be willing to go through the pain, the persecution, the trial, the tribulation, the hell, the high water that life throws at us, not up until death. But even if it kills us, that's what Paul says. Paul doesn't say, be thou faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He says, be thou faithful unto death. Yeah, and I will give you the crown of life. You have to understand that there was a difference between until and unto. Yeah, until means stop at the point. Unto means beyond the point. Christians understand that serving God is not a call to be faithful until your life is in danger. But it is a call to be faithful and to serve God even if serving God costs you your life. And Paul says, I'm in a situation now where I'm in this jail writing you this letter and I'm telling you that I'm serving God, but all these crazy things are happening to me. Uh, people who I've discipled are turning their backs on me. People who call themselves brothers and sisters in Christ are doing me wrong. But Paul says, in spite of that, verse 16, I'm not going to lose heart. Yeah. He says, I'm not going to lose heart because although the outer man is decaying. <sighs> yeah, I heard, I heard a preacher say uh, yesterday at a funeral. He says, we're not in the land of the living on our way to the land of the dying. He said, if you're a Christian, you're in the land of the dying on your way to the land of the living. Yeah, because ever since you've been born, you've been dying. That's what Paul is saying. Paul says that though the outer man is decaying, yeah, notice he doesn't say it's being torn down, it's being, being obliterated. He uses the word decay because he wants you to understand that it is a gradual process caused by the circumstances of life. Everybody is decaying. Yeah. He said, but though the outer man is decaying, if you have your faith in God, 
The inner man is being, check this out, not built up, but renewed. Yeah. Day by day. He does not give you a week's worth of renewal on Monday. Because that would keep you from trusting him on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But every morning, Lamentation chapter 3, 20, 21 says new mercies. I see every morning. They have to be new every morning because you've got to give me a reason to trust you every single day. I can't wake up without him. I can't go to bed without him. I can't go to the restroom without him. I can't eat without him. I can't do anything without him. I need to be renewed when? Day by day. It is, but check this out. Notice he does not promise to heal the outer man from his decay. He says, I'm going to allow the outer man to fall apart. Because you got too much faith in the outer man anyhow. Spend too much time dressing up the outer man. Spend too much time putting makeup on the outer man. Spend too much time getting the haircut on the outer man. When you don't realize that the outer man can't save you. The only thing that can save you is the transformation of the inner man. That's why Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present what? Your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of what? Your body? He says, of your mind. That the only thing that can save you is not external building up, but it is internal transformation. Do you hear what I'm saying? He says, you've got to be built up day by day. He says, that's why I can't quit. That's why I can't give up. That's why I don't lose heart, beloved, because I understand that although this is hurting me, it is working together for my good. God, help me. And I... I've told you this all day long uh, since we started, that it might not feel good while it's working. Yeah, but it's working for you good. It might not feel like it's helping you. It might not feel like it's making you better. But the beauty of synergy, God help me, that's the Greek word for work together, sunigeo. The beauty of synergy is that you're able to take good things and bad things. You're able to take Blessed days and not so blessed days. You're able to take the times when you got a lot of money and the times when you don't have a little, uh, but a little bit of money and you're able to put those days together and God uses all of them to renew you in the inner man day by day. So Paul says, I can't lose heart because it's working for me. Yeah. It, it, life might be tearing me apart. But somehow or another, God is able to use the tearing apartness of life, God help me, to work something on the inside of me that he wouldn't have been able to do had he allowed everything to be peaceful for me. Yeah. But then check this out. I can't give up, Paul says, because it's working for me. Yeah. But then Paul also says, verse 17, I can't give up because this is momentary and light affliction. But it is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Y'all hear, hear what Paul said? Paul says, look, it is light and momentary. The affliction that you're going through in comparison, this is Romans 8, 18 
For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time. You can understand now Paul is in a cohesive line of thought because he writes Romans and 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians around the same time. So when Paul said that I reckon that the sufferings of this present time in Romans 8.18 are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. It is a clear line of thought throughout Pauline theology. He's telling you that what God has coming for you is greater than what you're going through right now. That what God is getting ready to do in your life after the affliction is over is not even going to be worthy to be compared with, with, with the stuff that you went through beforehand. When God finally hooks this thing up, when God finally steps in and makes this thing all right and begins to work on your behalf, you'll be able to see that it wasn't even worth comparing. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because check this out. He says it's momentary and light. Yeah, what I'm going through is momentary. It's light. It might not feel light because it's the only thing you lift in. But when God takes that off of you and you lift something else, you'll be able to say, oh man, what I went through wasn't even heavy compared to what God just laid on me. You hear what I'm saying? It is, it is momentary and light. But the momentary light thing is producing for me something that is permanent and heavy. Look at what he says. He says it is a producing in us an eternal what? Weight. God help me. It, it's a weight of glory. Old Testament calls it the kabod. It calls it the kabod. It calls it the shekinah. That weighty presence of God. That, that thick smoke that filled the temple after Solomon prayed and would not allow the ministers to minister and the Levites to do their thing in the temple. It is that weight of glory. The New Testament calls it Numa. It is the wind, the breath of God. He said it's producing something in you by way of the Holy Ghost that is going to last you forever. So when the circumstance is over and you're able to shout because it's over, what the circumstance taught you, you'll be able to take that with you for the rest of your life. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah, when the bad relationship is over. Yeah. When the job situation is over, when you get out of that mess that you were in, that situation is over. And he casts your sins as far as the east is from the west to remember them no more. But even though you don't remember the sin, you remember the lesson that you got when you were going through it. Yeah, now I know not to get into a relationship with folk like that. I know not to deal with people in that way. I know to keep my mouth shut. I know to stop gossiping. I know to manage my money better and to be a better steward. I know now because though it was light and momentary, it produced something eternal in me. <clears throat> Check this out. He says it's far beyond all comparison. That what God is doing in your life is far beyond all comparison. What he's working on in you. Ain't going to be able to be compared. You can't compare it with what you went through last year. You can't compare it to that feeling you get when you're with that person doing what you do. He says, look, he says it's far beyond all comparison. Which means, here it is, it's worth waiting for. It is worth enduring. Yeah, it's worth enduring the pain 
because it's worth it what God is going to do. Ain't nobody going to be able to compare with what God is doing in my life. And I think the reason why many of us quit is because we don't believe that God still has the ability to blow our minds. Yeah, we think believing that God can blow our minds makes us prosperity preachers and makes us like the real preachers of L.A. And now we tripping because we think God can blow my mind. But I believe that the word of God says, now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think literally God has the power to blow your mind according to the power that works in you. If that's Ephesians 3.20. Ephesians 3.20.17 through 18 tells us that that power that works in us is what? Our faith. That if you believe God can blow your mind, God will blow your mind. Do you hear what I'm saying? And if I'm waiting on him to blow my mind, what I'm waiting on is far beyond all comparison. Okay, y'all don't get it. Yesterday, I took my son uh, to play football. I told my son that if he scored a touchdown, uh, that I would take him and get him ice cream. So he goes on the field and he scores, right? And I tell him, I'm going to get him some ice cream, right? So the coach is offering him, Katrina, snacks. But he's turning down the snacks. Because my daddy said, he's going to take me and get me now, I know that what you got is good, but what I'm waiting on my father to do is much better. So I can't take what you're giving and forfeit what I'm waiting on for my father. Y'all hear what I'm saying? And if my son understands that, then how many of us as believers can understand that we can't forfeit the prize in the future? By settling for what we see in front of our face. Why? Because Paul says the things that I can see are temporary. God help me. But the things that I can't see are eternal. God help me. Oh God can I help you now? Paul says you can't abandon the process. God help me. Based off of what you see. Yeah. Based off of the carrot that the devil is dangling in your face. That, that, that prize that he's telling you you're going to get if you just fix this thing yourself. If you just try to know it yourself. If you just try to work it out yourself. The devil wants you to believe that if you do that, you'll be able to be satisfied. But God says, don't worry about what you can see. Because what you can see is temporary. Money problems are things you can see. Relationship problems are things you can see. Difficulty finding a job is something that you can see. Marital instability is something that you can see. Church folk talking about you is something that you can see. Not having a place to stay or a place that accommodates your lifestyle the way you want is something that you can see. Car problems are problems that you can see. But Paul tells us by way of the Holy Spirit, don't look at what you can see. Because what you can see is temporary. How do I know it? Because if you get a car problem, you can take your car and get it fixed. If you have a marital problem, you can either get counseling or you can get divorced. And then the problem will be fixed. There are things that, are going, that we are going through that are temporary. But Paul says those temporary things are not things that should cause you to give up on God in the midst of affliction because they're going to be over soon. 
and stop worrying about the things that you can see and understand that the things that you cannot see are eternal. Yeah. Can I tell you why many of us forfeit our blessings in times of frustration? It's because we fix our eyes and our spirits and our emotions and our affections on the things that we can see. Yeah. Doesn't matter how much faith you have. Everybody has different thresholds of trifling. Right? Everybody. You're, just because your threshold might be a little bit higher than somebody else's, that doesn't mean you're a better Christian than them. It just means you're a little bit more mature. But when you get hit with something that blows your mind, you'll start missing church too. You'll start sending them text messages too. You'll start acting a fool too. Yeah. Because we focus not on what we should be focused on. We begin to focus on what we can see. I can see God calling me to be generous with my seed. But then I look at my bank account and I try to figure it out how I'm going to obey God and still take care of everything that I can see. God help me. But God says what you can see has no bearing on what's happening in the future. Because what you can see is going to pass away. We are on the verge. If you are watching any sort of legislation, y'all tripping over money, right? We are probably realistically one political cycle, which is eight years, away from a for real cashless society being on the ballot. Yeah. That means no more odd jobs for spare change. means no more change in the jar, saving it up for your kids. Yeah, and if they can get rid of money like that, that lets you know that money ain't for real that important. Do you hear what I'm saying? It is a system that you as a person have ascribed value to. Money is worth whatever we agree that it's worth. Y'all hear what I'm saying? And you will let something that you control the value of dictate your emotions. When God has never needed money to take care of you. You see that baby in his mother's arms? He's not worried about how much money his mama make. He's not worried about whether or not his father bring home a check. All he knows is that when he's with the people who are supposed to protect him, he is protected. And God says, that's what I want you to live under. I want you to understand that it does not matter about the fluctuations and the vicissitudes of your life. All you've got to understand is that if you're in my hands, I'm going to protect you. I've got to quit. Paul says, look, you can't give up. He says, because even though the outer man is perishing, the inner man is being renewed. And Stanley, he's renewing me day by day. How is he doing it? How is he renewing me day by day? He's using this momentary light affliction, this temporary stuff that ain't really all that bad, to build in me. A permanent anointing, a permanent weight of glory, a permanent lesson that will help me as I go along the way. And so I can't quit. 
Because even though I got problems, I can see. There is a purpose and a prosperity that I can't see. That outweighs this temporary problem. So then, Paul, it's almost as if Paul can hear them questioning him in his mind. Okay, Paul, we understand beatings and bludgeonings and prison sentences and, and small sicknesses that you might be going through, right? But uh, we in Corinth, Paul, somebody could kill us if we do this the wrong way. Now, you talk all this stuff about uh, being sick and being beaten, and if you get beat enough, uh, you'll learn how to take a beating, right? You, you'll, you'll learn how to roll with a punch so they don't hurt you that bad. You'll, you'll learn how to get in the fetal position and protect your organs, Paul. So I get that. Matter of fact, you've been in jail so much, you got relationship with jailers. Matter of fact, one jailer that tried to keep you got saved, so now he's your disciple. The Bible don't ever say he left his job at the prison. He's still a CO there at the prison. So, Paul, you've got relationship in jail. You've learned how to navigate these near-death instances of persecution. But, Paul, what do we do if this circumstance takes our life? What do we do if this situation that we're in causes us to lose our very lives? What do we do if this building you've been talking about doesn't fall down, but it's torn down. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, and I'm done. He says, for we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. There's so much in that verse, but I got to move quickly. He says, look, he says, if you die, huh, you got to be confident of this. Yeah. He says, first of all, because I spent all of 1 Corinthians uh, telling y'all that there is a resurrection from the dead. Yeah. So this is not anything that you've got to guess about, beloved. He says, we know that if the earthly tent, <clears throat> I like how the King James says it. The King James says, for we know that if the earthly house of this tabernacle. Yeah. And, and the reason why I like that better, Joe, is because it helps us understand the theological framework that Paul is working from. Because he says it is a tabernacle. You understand anything about the tabernacle? The tabernacle was never designed to be a permanent structure. <laughs> the tabernacle was a place where you could connect with God while God was moving you from one place to the next place. But it was always the destiny of the tabernacle. God help me, I feel like preaching now. It was always the destiny of the tabernacle to be torn down. The tabernacle was never intended to be permanent. So Paul said, this body that we coddle and that we 
cradle and that we try to take care of. He says, this is not your house. It's not the temple. It's a tabernacle. And the destiny of every tent, of every tabernacle, no matter how long you stay in it, eventually it has to come down. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? Yeah, this morning I was not feeling well, so I decided to take a longer drive. I drove past the field that we were at yesterday uh, while my son and daughter were out there doing their thing yesterday. And uh, when I got out there yesterday, there were tents, Maya, all over the field. Red tents and blue tents and orange tents and yellow tents and purple tents all over the field. I drove by there today, Mike, wasn't a tent on the field. Because no matter how permanent the tent looks, it is the destiny of every tent to come down. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? So Paul calls your physical body, hear me, Christians. He calls your physical body a tent. Because no matter how good you take care of it, no matter how much time you put into it, and you should. He says eventually the walls of this earthly house, this tabernacle, will be dissolved. But if it is dissolved, we have not another tent, look at the text, but a building. God help me, y'all missed that. Because if you got that, you would have shouted. He says, look, he says, I'm living in a tent, but God is moving me to a building. God help me. Yeah, tents are temporary, but buildings are eternal. God help me. Tents uh, will get you through. God help me. But a house is an investment that accumulates value over time. He says, I've got a building. Whoo. Check this out now. He said, this building that I have. Yeah. <laughs> it's not from Peter Keywood and Associates. It's not from the best construction company in America. He said, it's a building from God. God help me. Uh, which means that I can trust the manufacturer, Kobe. That this new building that I'm getting, this, this new building is a building that's going to, be a, going to be free from decay. It's going to be free from disease. It's going to be free from death because it's from God. <clears throat> and anything that is from God, Kenny, has to be taken care of by God. Yeah, he says it's a building from God, yeah, not made with hands. Lord, help me. Got it. Uh, he says, the building that you're moving into, beloved, it's a building whose maker is sure because it's from God. But he says, it's a building uh, whose creation is incorruptible because it is not made with, the text is literally saying, human hands. Yeah. God made you. He made me, but he had to use humans to do it. Everybody in here whether you know them or not, whether they're still alive or not, has a mother and a father. Yeah. Because even though God did it, it took human hands to bring it into existence. But Paul says this new building that you're getting is a building not made with hands, meaning that it is perfect. That's what Paul is trying to get you to see. It is, it is a glorified body. It is a body that is free from all of the ailments of this world. Not just physical ailments, but mental ailments. Spiritual confusion. It is free. Yeah. 
This is why Paul says, look, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to live for him. I'm going to glorify him, even if it kills me. Why? Because I know God helped me. That if this building is torn down, he's not going to leave me out here homeless. But grandmama and them would say when somebody died, Mike, uh, they didn't want to say died. They didn't want to say death. So they would develop little uh, colloquialisms and, and sayings to indicate that somebody had died. Here's one. Uh, uh, Brother Jenkins passed. Yeah. Yeah. Sister, Sister Jackson has moved on. Yeah. Uh, oh, here, here's one of my favorite. One of my favorite preachers will say this. Uh, Reverend Jones has passed from labor to reward. Yeah. But here's one of my favorite ones. This is one of my favorite ones. My, this, this is my absolute favorite. They would say, yeah, Bishop Jones is gone. He done moved upstairs. God help me. Yeah. Uh, and I think that when the old saints would say he's moved upstairs, they were kind of trying to encapsulate the theology of 2 Corinthians 5 and 1. Because what God is saying is that death is not the end. But it is the beginning of the promotion of the righteous. That you are now getting ready to move to a place, God help me, where the wicked will cease from troubling and the weary will be at rest. And I know we don't like to preach about this. We like to preach about living long lives. And we like to hear preaching that makes us feel like everything is going to be okay and everything will be okay. If you flip to the end of the book, Jesus wins. But the reality of our lives is simply this. God is not here to make sure you live long he wants you to live well and the only way that you can live well is by understanding that death is not the end of your struggle it's not the end of your story that's why you're able to face death and the reason why many of us I believe are not able to face death the way Christ wants us to is because we're really afraid that death is the end God help me yeah, we're afraid that this is over, that, that, that when we die, somehow or another, God will leave us here with unfinished business. But you got to understand that when God calls you from this place to move you into your building, he'll never leave you with unfinished business. But he'll leave you at just, he'll take you at just the right time. So Paul says, I've got to keep serving God. I know y'all are laughing at me. I know uh, that people in Corinth uh, doubt my apostolicity. Yeah, they, 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 they doubt my apostolic authority. I know that you've got people there in your church that are saying, don't listen to Paul. You need to call Apollos or you need to call Barnabas or you need to call Peter or James or one of the super apostles. Yeah, because Paul don't know what he's talking about. Paul says, I know y'all don't respect me. Like you should. He said, but you need to understand that my affliction is not a sign that God does not have my back. As a matter of fact, I'm going to keep going through affliction. God, help me. As a matter of fact, in verse 15, this is the word of the apostle now. The apostle says in verse 15, we're going through all of this for your sake. Woo! This ain't for everybody now. But you got to understand that a leader is afflicted greatly because of the people that they lead. 
Because God wants you to see. Right? God wants you to be able to examine the life of someone who has put God before everything. This is why I talk to pastors now. I got guys ever since this consecration that have been hitting me up talking about they want me to cover them and they want me to plant them and they want to do all this stuff. And at the end of the day, uh, I ask them simple questions. Uh, Shantae, like, where'd you go to church at? Where'd you and your wife go to church at today? Oh, Doc, you know, we, you know, we just worshiping at home while we, wait, yeah, you ain't ready yet. Yeah. Uh, where'd you, where'd you? Where are, you, where are you and your wife serving now? Y'all serving anywhere now? She involved in anything? You doing anything? Oh, well, you know, we was at this church, but, uh, you know, we left right before God gave us the clearance to start. And you ain't been worshiping nowhere? No, no, not yet. Yeah, you ain't ready yet. Because leaders have to be people that you can look up to. That's why Paul says, not many of you should aspire to be teachers. Because teachers fall under a stricter judgment. Right? Everybody has the same standard. But the degree to which God holds you to that standard is based upon how many people are looking at you for guidance on the standard. Right? So there are certain things that God might apply grace to you for because you're following a trifling leader. But the trifling leader that knows better don't get that same grace extended. That's what the Bible says. That I can lead you wrong and God give mercy. But if I knowingly lead you wrong, the Bible says it is better for them to tie a millstone, a boulder around my neck and throw me into the Sea of Galilee. Yeah. The Sea of Galilee uh, in myth, we know it not to be true now, but in myth, they believe that the Sea of Galilee had no bottom. So when Jesus says, throw you into the sea with a millstone tied around your neck, he's literally talking about sending you to hell so you fall forever. Yeah. That's what he does with leaders. But, but, but leaders go through things to give people something to look at and say, you know what? I want to follow Christ the way they follow Christ. Yeah. Not I want to follow them. Although you do have to follow a person. Right? You got to submit to earthly authority. I taught y'all that last week. Right? But, 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 but leaders suffer and have to suffer well so that the people who are watching them can understand what suffering looks like. Y'all hear what I'm saying? This is why I tell pastors, you can't be on Facebook complaining about all the stuff you're going through all the time. Everybody doesn't need to know how mad you are about Trump's Supreme Court pick. They don't need to know how mad. I, can't, I don't need to know what you're watching on TV by what you write in your Facebook. Preachers, leaders, right? Because God is holding us to a higher standard. Pastor Josh, why are you talking about this? Because I feel like the reason why so many of us as followers and parishioners are half-baked, half-committed is because we got leaders who don't know which side they want to be on. You want to be a bishop when it suits you, but then when you feel like sinning, you want to be a regular person. Yeah, when you want somebody to carry your bag, it's, hello, I'm bishop so-and-so. But then when you out doing something, you ain't got no bishop. Oh, just call me so-and-so. 
And if leaders are flipping and flopping like that, what do you think the people are going to do? Because the African proverb says, whatever walks in the fathers runs in the sons. So if I'm a little bit trifling, what do I expect the rest of y'all to be? You hear what I'm saying? Paul says, I endure them. Verse 15, I'm still in the text. He says, we're enduring this affliction for your sake. I'm going through this for you. Now, that's macro. Can I get micro? Local church, right? Okay. So that means, beloved, that as an ambassador of Christ, you may not be in full-time vocational ministry as a pastor elder, right? But as a follower of Christ, you have a responsibility to suffer well because there are people watching you and they need to know how to suffer with confidence in God. How do I suffer then? And I'm through. How, how do I suffer with confidence in God? How am I able to commit Lolo that even if it kills me I'm going to give God my best. I'm, I'm going to give him the best that I have. Paul says I'm able to do it because I understand that my affliction is not the end. My affliction that I'm going through is not the end. Yeah. And so I sit and I wait because I understand that that's not the end. What I see is not the end. Okay. Uh, let me close it this way. Um, Iron Man uh, when it was released, uh, was the first Marvel Studios movie. And they, it was, it was released by Paramount, but it was the first Marvel Studios movie. And the producers wanted to have something unique that they could use to tie all of the Marvel movies together because even at the beginning, they could see that a team-up was coming. Yeah. Uh, even though all the other movies hadn't been made, they didn't even have all the rights to have all the characters under the same roof, they could see from the beginning that something was coming. So they wanted to have something in each movie that could tie the movies together. And so they came up with this idea. It was not unique to them, but they capitalized it in a unique way called the post-credit scene. Yeah. Iron Man, we thought it was over. The credits were rolling. But then midway through the credits, Samuel L. Jackson comes onto the screen and begins talking to Iron Man. This then creates a culture shift. Because now when we go see Marvel movies, when we see the credits, everybody stays in their seat. Because even though the credits are something I can see, I know that the producer of the movie has prepared something that I can't see that is worth waiting on. He says, look, you can sit in that seat and you can get up and walk out with everybody else, try to miss the crowd, but then you'll miss the benefit of what I want to show you. And the credits are things that you can see. But the post credits are things that you can't see. God help me. And so uh, Marvel decides that in every movie, just to give you a sneak peek, 
of what's coming next. They want you to wait in their seat. Wait in your seat, rather, for the post-credit scene. Now, here's the interesting thing. After Endgame, there was no post-credit scene. And the reason why they did that is because they wanted to let the fans know that this was the end of an era. God help me. But as long as the producer had more to show you, God help me. If you waited, God help me here, there would be a post-credit scene. And I don't know who I'm preaching to, but God told me to tell you that you're able to serve him unto death. You will be able to serve him unto death. If you understand that death is not the end. I know you feel like you're dying. I know you feel like your body is falling apart. I know you feel like your situation is dying. Your finances are dying and the things that you are going through are insurmountable. But God wants you to know that death is not the end. God help me. Just look at somebody and say it's not the end. Yeah. Yeah it's not the end. It's not over until God says it's over. I, I know you feel like you're about to lose your mind and you're not going to be able to make it and that your situation will never recover and that you're beyond forgiveness and that you've done too much and that everything is falling down all the way around you. But just hang on. God help me. Uh, because if you hang on in there God will fix it after a little while. And I don't know who I'm preaching to in the building but somebody here needs encouragement now to hold on a little while longer I know you feel like it's about to fall apart on you but hold on I heard Bishop Jake say yesterday that God is so good that he'll allow the ship to fall apart and let you make it on broken pieces that the ship is destroyed God help me but the boards will still float God said hold on for dear life no matter what you're going through and I'm going to let it work out on your behalf God help me I feel like preaching a little while God help me look at somebody and say neighbor whatever you're going through God is going to turn it around but you can't give up you can't give in you can't throw in the towel because God is gonna fix it after a little while and I know it feels like it's going to last forever. I know it feels like it's going to be heavy on you. But God told me to tell you that it might seem like it's going to last forever. But it's just a light and momentary affliction. And it's doing something on the inside of you. You've got to be encouraged now and tell yourself that it's working for my good tears in my eyes are working for my good sickness in my body is working for my good pain in my heart is working for my good and I don't know how you feel about it but is there anybody here who can testify that when I look back over my life and I think things, I think things over, God was able to take my good days and use them to make me better. God was able to take my heartbreak and turn it for my good. God was able to take every tear I cry and use it to teach me a lesson and if I never 
If I never had a, had a problem, I wouldn't have known that God, that God could solve them. I wouldn't have known, yes, Lord, what faith in his word could do. Look at somebody and encourage them and say, neighbor, you got to hold on. You can't be afraid, afraid of death, because to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Neighbor, you can't be afraid. You can't be afraid of death, because if they take you from this body, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I know society is trying to make you afraid to control you with fear political fear economic fear racial fear fear from disease and fear from death but you can't give in to fear because even if you die Paul said that we know that if the earthly house of this tabernacle be dissolved we gotta build with God not made by hands eternal in the heavens I got to get out of here now but I feel like preaching but I gotta close can I close by telling you a story there's a story of a father that had two sons and his two sons names were death and life and the father loved his son life so the father gave him a treasure inside of a box and every night life would sleep with the treasure underneath his pillow he would sleep with the gift his daddy gave him inside of the box underneath the pillow but one night that dastardly evil brother named death snuck into life's room in the middle of the night and stole the present that life's father had given him life woke up the next morning and he cried to his daddy he said father you gave me a gift and laid over in the night that wicked brother of mine came in the room and stole the gift and daddy I'm crying now because the gift has been stolen I'm sad now because my gift has been taken away and the father with love in his eyes looked at his son life and said son I knew your brother was wicked he said son I knew your brother would come in in the middle of the night to try to steal the gift that I gave you but before death got in there I went inside of the box and I took the treasure out but I left the empty box inside of the pit and so now your brother is celebrating right now your brother 
brother is rejoicing over your grief. But what death doesn't know is he ain't got nothing but an empty box. Look at your neighbor and say, death, if it takes me, won't have nothing but an empty box. For we know that if the earthly house, yeah, yeah, of this tabernacle, if it be the law, we've got a building. I said, we've got a building. I said, we've got a building. I said, we've got a building. But just look at somebody because it's not safe to touch them yet. But just look at them and say, neighbor, God will see you through. God will protect you. God will make your enemies leave you alone. But if he doesn't, if this life is cut short, you got somewhere that you gotta go. Some glad morning when this life is over, I will fly away. Is there anybody here who's grateful today that knows you'll fly, fly away? I said, you know, you'll fly away. Look at somebody for the last time and say, neighbor, after this, I won't bother you no more. But Bishop told me to tell you that if you feel like you're dying, you're in good company because God does some of his best work after death. There was a Shunammite woman who asked God for a son. And after she got the son, the son died. But the Bible said that she took that son to the prophet of God. And Elisha got that boy up from the day because God does some of his best work after death. The Bible said there was a man by the name of Lazarus who was sick all week long and then he died. He died. Lazarus come forth because God does some of his best work after death there was a little bitty girl I told you about last week Jay Iris's daughter she was dead laying in the bed but Jesus said she's not dead and to prove it to you I'm gonna get her up by saying good morning and when Jesus said good morning the Bible says the little girl got up because God does some of his best work after death that didn't get you yet well let me do one more there was a man named Jesus they beat 
them all night long. Marched them up a hill. Called Galgotha to a mountain. Called Calvary. They beat him. And they whipped him. And they put nails in his hand. They put the rivet in his feet. And they stabbed him in the side. And he died. Yes, he died. From the sixth to the ninth hour, he died. Can I preach it like my dad? I said, he died. Didn't he die? He died until the angels cried tears of grief. He died until the sun refused to shine. He died until the moon drip red with beloved. He died until the 24 elders cast down their crowns around the glassy sea of glory. He died. Didn't he die? But I'm so glad that that's not how the story is. Three days later, he got up. Not any old kind of way, but he got up with his best work after death. Look at somebody and say death is not the end. If God can raise Jesus up from the dead, then I'm waiting on my building. It's not a building in the best neighborhoods of Jacksonville. It's not a building in Ponavidra. It's not a building in Queens Harbor. It's not a building in Eagle Landing. But it's a building from God not made with hands. Eternal in the heavens. It's gonna last forever. What you're going through now is temporary. But what God forever. I dare you. Stop shouting over what you can't see and grow up a little bit and give him praise for the building you can't see. Stop crying over problems you can't see and give him praise for the building that you can see. Some glad morning with this life this life is over. I will fly away if you believe it. I dare you open up your mouth and say yeah.